That is my favorite hymn. Um, I love that hymn. If you couldn't see my tears, it's because uh, I'm way up on stage and I try to hide that. Um, Perfect. Um, This morning, um, I don't know if you've noticed the past, I think, seven or eight sermons, I've been going through the book of 1 John whenever I'm up here. Uh, The last head pastor here, Pastor Tommy, really pushed for me to do that. And the beauty of slowly going through a a book of the Bible um, is you hit everything that needs to be said. I don't have to hop around to figure out what will apply this week or what will apply next week or trying to you know, fit in with the culture or what's going on with the day, that God's Word is sufficient, that it speaks to everything. That as you run through its pages, you're reminded of the promises of God. And that even when it's hard to cling to the rock of ages, He clings even tighter to us. And 1 John has been that book for me this year as I've dived in... I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) I'm borrowing a Bible, um, and I dropped one of her bookmarks. Um, But she'll forgive me because she is a gracious uh, lender of God's Word. And so this morning, um, the sermon is about abiding. He abides. This is... um, One of the passages that I think gets a lot of focus on the front end of what this passage is about, but I think it's good to remind us before we even dive into God's Word that God's Word ultimately it's not about us. It's not about um, it's not a math book or a biology book or anything else. It's a book written about our Savior from beginning to end in Genesis to Revelation. It's talking about the coming Savior, the Savior who's there, and the Savior who will come. If you're wondering where we are at in this Bible, we're right in between John 3 and Revelation, and even into Revelation, that we are part of this story, that Christ came down to save us. It's not something that we just talk about to get good uh, morals or a good setting on life so you're successful or whatever you may use it as, but it's a word of God that sits in our hearts and shapes us to become ever more like our Creator and our God. That this passage this morning, like every morning when we read Scripture, is there to edify and lift us up like uh, towards our Savior and our God. So before I read God's Word, I ask that you bow your heads with prayer with me. Dear Heavenly and Most Holy Father, we pray you be in my head, in my thinking, in my mouth, in my speaking, in my heart and understanding. That this afternoon, that whatever I said fades away and your Scripture remains. That your Spirit we know is working, living, and active in the hearts of all of us who believe. And we pray that we hold on to that peace and on to that grace. In your precious and most holy name, amen. So like I said, this morning we're going to be continuing reading through 1 John. And if you want to turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, we're going to read 18 to 27. Um, and like I said, uh, you'll hear a name in here that you may associate um, or maybe you probably hear a lot in media and pop culture. Um, but I want you to hear the whole passage. Don't focus when that word pops up. Verse 18, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. 
but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But among but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you, but his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true and is no lie, just it has taught to you. Abide in him. So I'm going to start off this morning with a question, and actually all my points are questions, so I figured, you know, keep asking questions. My students will tell you, I like to ask questions, I like discussion, and so we're going to ask a question this morning, and that question is, what makes a villain? I'd actually planned on preaching this sermon uh, the day before Halloween, um, the, the couple coming weeks, uh, but because of everything happening, uh, I pulled it back and preached it today. And so what makes a villain? I'm sure if I asked you to name some, you'd maybe come up with Thanos. He's, he was the big bad in the most recent kind of Marvel movies. Maybe you'll think about your cartoons you grew up with. I'd instantly go to Martian, uh, uh, the little green Martian from Looney Tunes or Wile E. Coyote. Or maybe uh, you can think about Star Wars and you think about uh, Darth Vader or someone like that. All of these are kind of villains, and because they're in comic books or in movies or um, media, we kind of list them up as kind of this specific kind of villain, this kind of ultimate evil. There was another villain that was uh, quite a bit in my childhood. When I was a kid, I found a comic book at a store that was based off a series of books um, and also had a movie, it's, uh, and this guy... Um, his name, some of you may know his name off the top of your head, is Nikolai Car- Carpathia. I never knew I say it as a kid. Carpathia. I said, I just called him Nikolai. Um, but he was in this book series you may have heard called Left Behind. Uh, he was the embodiment in this book series of the Antichrist. He was this really slick back hair looking guy. He had good clothes, like a smile that, you know, that was just perfect, he had great teeth, and everybody was like, wow, look at that guy. But it, you come to find out, to read in the comic book, that he's not a good person. That he's actually a really bad person, and his kind of showing up is about to bring out the end of the world. So as a kid growing up, I associated this word antichrist with the guy who's going to come, and once he shows up, that's it. The world's coming to an end. We're done for. And I got really scared of that word. He showed up in other social media, he showed up in other movies, TV shows, um, there's a lot of things. Anytime somebody brings up the end of the world, they normally talk about the Antichrist, and they talk about um, kind of who he is. Sometimes people make assumptions. But this morning, I, I, w- I want to hopefully change your perspective on who the Antichrist is, because it's not a specific person. The only time the term unto uh, Christos, or I'm not good at pronouncing Greek, it took me a long time to remember how to say that, uh, shows up is in John. It's just in 1 John. There's other references to to different people, but the Antichrist, it only specifically to John. 
And specifically, these passages are where he says it the most. He says it one other time later in this book. And the fun, the, the kind of cool thing about Scripture is that if you keep reading, it explains itself. Now, within context, Scripture pulls itself around. And, and it lets you know why things were said, or it helps you better understand it. And so this morning, like I said, my three points are all questions. Who, what, and how? So the first point, if we expand the who, is who is an Antichrist, or who is John referring to here? Like today, uh, John, when he writes a letter to Christians who are suffering, who who are dealing with issues, he writes to encourage them. He also writes to correct them, and he writes to give them hope and encouragement and get excited for things. That hopefully when you come on a Sunday to church, or maybe you hang out on a Saturday cleaning up leaves or cutting back blackberry bushes uh, with friends, with fellow Christians, that that is a time of encouragement, of lifting up. And John here, when he writes this letter, is writing to a people who are struggling with this idea called Gnosticism. Gnosticism was a, was a thing way back in the day that kind of started in the late first century. It was pretty big in the second century. It was a long time ago. But um, the idea pretty much was that, that Jesus wasn't God's son, but rather somebody who obtained perfection, obtained kind of this, this God status, and he got reaped the rewards. So these people um, kind of pushed this ideology that we... Rather than believing and clinging to the gospel of Christ and clinging to what he done, we had to do what he did. And I haven't lived super long, but I know from my 30 years of life that I'm not good enough to do that. <laughs> that I mess up a lot. That trying to be like Jesus is, is something I'm striving for, but nothing I will ever do well. And so John tells us who Antichrists are right in the passage. Right? You, you read it out and he's, um, he says... They went out from us, and they were not of us. If they had, they've been of us, but they continued without us. And so he talks about how they were here, but, but then they went out. And then he goes on and explains further. He says those who are Antichrist are those who deny who Jesus is. It's, it's Occam's razor. It's The simplest answer is the true one. That when we say Antichrist, we're literally talking about those who are pursuing and about things that are the opposite of what Jesus was about. That's not a character in a comic book that's going to come down like Thanos in the Marvel Endgame and bring about the end of the world, but rather it's those that push a gospel, push a Christ that Christ isn't. I talked about this morning with my students that God doesn't like being misrepresented. He doesn't like his image being shaped to our will. He told us who he is. We can have faith in who he is. We don't need to add anything to it. So what John's warning against here is those who are pursuing um, a gospel that isn't the gospel that Jesus preached. And maybe you don't. Maybe this is your first time hearing about Jesus, but let me tell you the quick, quick version: that Jesus was God's Son, who came flesh and bone like me and you, and lived a perfect life. And even though he did nothing wrong, he experienced one of the worst possible ways to die on planet Earth. He got up on a cross and died. Not because he did anything wrong or because he was a bad man, but because he needed to die. And so he hopped up on there. 
He bled from his wrists and his feet. He was pierced in his side. And in in the scriptures, it talks about how blood and water poured out. This really distinct image of a river of blood. That's why I love that hymn. And Christ died, and it was scary. There was darkness for three days. We don't know our hope was gone. The disciples that loved and lived with him for three years were like, where is this Jesus guy who was supposed to be the Savior? Now he's dead. The good news of the Bible is that Jesus rose from the dead. And that because he did that, we get to experience that joy, that hope of the gospel. We get to walk within that. That that's who Jesus is. And these people that John is talking against, antichrist as he calls them, are people who say, nope, that's not who Jesus is. Jesus was a dude who lived a really good life and we should try to attain that. We should pursue that. And so we need to be careful, brothers and sisters, A, not to just throw that word flippantly, but also B, to, to, be, to watch ourselves, to check um, our own hearts and our own minds, to dive into God's word. So that's the second point, is what? What does it mean to be anointed and to know all the truth? Or all the words, kind of, John talks about here, you caught it, but he tells the people he's writing to that you already know everything. At least that's what the Greek says. Now, as someone who, my undergrad's in Bible, and then I said, I still don't know everything. I'm going to go to seminary. I went to seminary. Let me tell you, seminary does not teach you everything. I was really excited because when I went to seminary, I thought it would teach me everything. So if you came up with a question, you're like, who is this character in the Bible? Or what does this Hebrew word mean? I could just tell you right off the bat. Rather, seminary taught me how to cling to God. It constantly, every day, reminded me of who Jesus was. It was like reading John 3.16 for five years. That being anointed is the Holy Spirit coming in us. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit working in, coming in us, making us more and more like Him, and the Holy Spirit preaching to our hearts and to our minds about who Christ is and who we live, how we should live, knowing that. And when Scripture tells us we're anointed, it's a blessing. It's something that's happening to us right now. It's working in your heart and your mind. If you're a believer, if you love Jesus, the Holy Spirit is living and active in you. Oftentimes in Presbyterian circles, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. And so when we see it in Scripture, we just kind of downplay it. We're like, yeah, that's the helper that Jesus said would be sent out. That was the little flames of fire above their heads in the beginning of Acts. But the Holy Spirit's here in this room right now. Sit with that a moment. God is with us right now. That no powerful... um, Nothing we do can release us from that grasp. That God's blood is flowing through our veins, not because of anything we did or are doing or will do, but because the Holy Spirit came down and worked on Reuben's heart and convicted me and said, Hey, you need a Savior. You need Jesus. And all I had to do was fall to my knees and say, Yes. To have that faith. And God also gives us that faith. He works in us. That through my rough times, Jesus sustained me. He held me up. That when John's talking here and telling them that they have all the truth, he's not saying they were the most knowledgeable Christians in all of the world. 
Rather, he was saying, you know who Jesus is and you knew what he did. You already got the whole package. Jesus died, rose again from the dead, and is sitting on the right hand of God, petitioning, fighting for me and you. We come to him every Sunday and confess our sins, and we know that Jesus looks at us, forgives us of our sins, and says, you have done well, my good and faithful servant. Not because of anything we do, but because when God sees us, he sees Christ. And that's the exciting thing about Scripture. That's the exciting thing, what John's reminding them, that they have that hope, that one thing they need, that they don't need to add things like the Gnostics, I don't know how to short it, like Gnosticism was. You don't have to add a pretense. You don't have to be perfect. I don't know if you all know this, but, but sinners can be Christians. A few weeks ago at Presbytery, um, the former head pastor, Tommy Allen, said your church should be sinner-friendly. If you don't, aren't a sinner-friendly church, well, you're probably not at a church. Because some of you know this, but all of us are sinners. And despite that, God still calls us to himself. God still loves us. God still steps out of his perfection and came down and died for us. We just sang about one of my favorite stories of salvation ever. The story that sustains me even when I have doubts, even when I'm struggling. As Jesus is up on that cross suffering, more pain than I can ever imagine. More pain than a tattoo or, or anything I've ever gone through. Stubbing my toe yesterday or briar putches. Jesus was up there on the cross and the thief looked at him and he first he said, I know that you are up here and you're innocent. The thief just muttered knowing who Christ was and what did Jesus say? He goes, well, uh, do you believe the five points of Calvinism? Uh, Did you, you know, go to all the work projects? Did you show up on Sunday morning? No. That today you'll be with me in paradise. That all it takes is that beautiful, beautiful belief and Christ coming down. And the Holy Spirit is working in us. And when John says you're anointed, he's talking about coming into each and every one of our lives and working us to become more and more like Jesus. That's the exciting thing of the gospel. That's the exciting thing about this passage. Is John is reminding us, despite those around who are trying to lead people away, despite people uh, who are breaking off, that they need to abide in Christ, that they need to cling, and that the Holy Spirit has already given them all the answers they need for salvation. Now, obviously, that doesn't give us an excuse or good reason to avoid reading this book. This is really important. We'll get there with the third point. It's how. How do we abide in Christ? How do we, what shows that we're abiding in Christ? Abide is an is a f- interesting word. Um, there's a couple of moody, movies that use it a lot. Sometimes we just kind of think of it as kind of just sitting passively in a lazy boy chair. Um, it's defined as just accepting or acting according with, accordance with like a rule or something. It's just walking within that truth. So how do we do that? Well, I want to give you an illustration that hopefully illustrates that. And it, it's if you, how many of you love to drive? Like maybe your partner doesn't like to drive, but you are like, I'm the one who drives the car because that's me. Uh, I hate not driving. Uh, my wife loves it because she loves not driving, and so we good good match. Um, and what abiding means 
It's understanding what Christ did everything. And so we don't get to drive the car. We have to sit in the passenger seat. Well, sit with that for a second. We don't, when we're driving through life, when we're running towards our um, kind of perfection, our goodness, we're trying to figure out what it means to be perfect Christian, we don't hop on the wheel and be like, well, we have to take this turn and that turn. We have to make sure we fill up this kind of gas. Make sure we have these kind of windshields, this specific car. Rather, we are a participator who sits in the driver's seat. Jesus pulled up and led us into the car and said, come with me. This salvific journey that we are saved and safe because Christ is there. And so abiding means sitting with God, sitting with our Savior, learning from Him. And a huge way to do that is this guy right here, the Scriptures. The Bible is a wonderful book. A lot of really smart men and women before us have helped us better understand it. And there will be a lot more after us. And we get to sit in community with each other just in this room. There's a lot of smart people in this room. A lot of faithful Bible readers in this room. A lot of people who've been through really rough points and God has carried them through. And Christ has been with them and with us every step of the way. That a way to abide in Christ is to read the Scriptures. A way to know we are abiding in Christ well is the fruits of the Spirit. I talk about the fruits of the Spirit a lot. Maybe it's because we're going through them on Wednesday nights with the students. But the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That these are good and wonderful pursuits. That as we dive into God's Word, as we sing awesome songs, as we pray, as we meditate on uh, things happening around us, these are things that should pour out of us. Another time that John used the word abide was in his gospel. In John 15, uh, verse 17. Uh, well, in verse 6, he uses the word abide. It's the passage about I am the true vine. Jesus is talking about how he is the vine which, which bears the fruit. He is the vine that we all are grafted into. The blessing of salvation that we come a part of is like a vine, or like a branch that gets crafted onto a healthy vine. In verse 6, it says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and branches are gathered, thrown into a fire. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. And then as you keep reading, it talks more and more about the, the joy of abiding in who Christ is. And then verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. That the things that sustained Jesus while he's up on the cross, the things that sustained Jesus as he worked and lived three years of ministry, 30-something years of life, knowing what was coming up, knowing that he was going to have to suffer, what sustained him was this. Through his difficult days. Jesus had difficult days. I feel like we think he kind of lived this uh, kind of carefree life, didn't stub a toe, didn't eat bad food, you know. But Jesus was a real person. He had struggles like we did. The difference is he didn't sin. That when he stubbed his toe, he didn't take his, his father's name in vain. That when he was hit with struggles, instead of falling maybe down and, and, and going to their level, he quoted scripture. 
took the high road. He loved his neighbor so well. Jesus reminds us constantly that loving God and loving our neighbor hinges everything. The law, the prophets, our salvation, everything hinges on the love Christ has shown us. And because we're shown that love, we should show that love to others. And so as you go through this week, as maybe I encourage you to read First John. It's one of my now it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. And maybe you're having a rough day, a rough week, a rough year. I really want to encourage you to abide in Christ. And be like Ruben, you know, maybe right now you don't feel like you can abide in Christ. Maybe you're struggling or have worries or doubts, and you're like, Am I even a Christian? I have all these issues and these questions. Brothers and sisters, that's the Spirit working in you to let you know, A, that you don't have to know everything to abide in Christ. You can take solace and comfort in the fact that Jesus loves you and He died for you. That He wants you to cling tightly to Him. That He wants to walk with you through your struggles and through your grief. But also, He wants you to experience joy. He wants you to experience dancing and laughing and enjoyment that His Word also brings. And that we come more and more like Him. That we can become more and more the person and the people who Christ is calling us to be. As a church, what that means for us is loving our neighbors well. Being a church that's sinner-friendly. That allows people to walk through doors and feel the love of God. That can feel that, that God is living and active. And not just feel it, but know it. And can live it. So I want you to abide in Christ. Hold on to his scriptures. Dive into the word and know that God loves you. Please know that. If you don't get anything else, know that Jesus loves you and he wants you to come to him. If you're having a rough day, know that God is clinging tightly to you, like that old Rock of Ages picture. That God is clinging tightly to us, even if we can't cling tightly to him. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly and Holy Father, we thank you for your word. That John reminds us that you um, have anointed us with your Holy Spirit. That you've come upon us in a way that is ever-living and active. Like those of us who pulled up weeds and planted new plants yesterday, that is a reminder of what you were doing in our hearts. That you are making us new. Not like we were, but like you want us to be, Lord. I pray that we abide in that. That we take comfort that you are the driver of the car. That you love us and that you will sustain us and be there for us. We pray all this in your precious and most holy name. Amen.